This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. I'm Isaac Simpson. Today I have with me Paul McNeil, a person behind Wagon Dow, which we'll talk about. And we also were both featured in the Vanity Fair piece by all old James Polk um, as members of the dissident fringe. <laughs> What's it like to be on the dissident fringe? Well, you know, it's um, it was great until people found out about it. Um, <laughs> You know, I was just gaily on the happily on the uh, dissident fringe, and then, uh, but recently, the members of my community or the community around the wagon now uh, were circulating this article that came out and taking some quotations out of it, and uh, suddenly the cost of being on the dissident fringe, the scariness of it, started to manifest uh, but by and large it's great being on this great <laughs> very free very, are you uh, saying you got blowback from the article yeah so initially you know the handful of people that read it were just like oh yeah it's cool and the whole quote was kind of out of context um but I guess it's just easy. It's just to actually just launch into the wagon out thing because that kind of plays into. So, um, without going back too far and dragging in too much, uh, I, I bought a property in the foothills of the Big Horns, um, which is mentioned in the article. Uh, it was actually two properties that had been together and then they had been operated separately for the last five or 10 years, but it was a restaurant, cabins, and a lodge and streams running through it and then an rv park some houses and tent sites whatever it's about 20 acres all together and um the idea sort of congealed that i should uh could turn this into something of a distributed community center like um not that necessarily anybody would move there not anything like a, a commune but more like a, kind of a think tank capital um, and for the type of people I'd want to attract, you know, it'd be more than a think tank because we would, you know, do, do stuff there, uh, go hiking, fishing, you know, campfires, jams. And, and, and the restaurant, I thought, gave it a neat, um, you know, you just hang out. It's got an espresso bar. It's got a tavern. It's a full-time restaurant. So you can hang out and also gives it a neat interface with the community. So, um, built a library out of the restaurant and kind of, it's obvious to everybody that can be brought up that, like something is different here. It's, you know, good old 
country uh, restaurant we were expecting. Yeah, I took down all the, you know, chips of Western yard sale art and put up like portraits of Tolstoy and G.K. Chesterton, whatever. <laughs> uh, kind of freaked people out a little bit. And then, but anyway, I cobbled together a light paper to kind of describe what we were going for and try to kind of pitch it to potential investors. The idea was get like, start out as 100, then maybe at 300, and kind of came to about 150 is probably good old Don Bars number uh, for members of this community. And they could buy in. Um, and the buy in would pay down the debt so the thing wouldn't have, you know, this the restaurant could even generate some income without this major debt load. And it could also, you know, give it a little bit of a budget for doing different stuff. Um, anyway, put together a light paper, was on a panel of consensus. Uh, with some other kind of Web3, very different actually, like DAO-related projects, decided to try to run the thing with the DAO. And some members of the community got a hold of that light paper and a video that I had recorded describing the project. Um, and the, uh, there was, it's always hard to gauge these things. I think from a certain perspective, like the whole community was up in arms, but really like, six angry people on Facebook on us. Um, so they were angry just about the fact that this was happening at all. Yeah. I think there's a lot of facets that are anger and as sort of the anger generated more anger, they found that fair piece. And so the problem with being in sort of undefined political territory, which the dissident community kind of often finds themselves much like the libertarian community, is that you give everybody something to hate, right? So the hardcore right-wingers are like, this guy is talking about the crumbling American Republic. That sounds kind of anti-American. And then the lefties are like, oh, this guy is just a patriarchal, uh, wants the Western literary canon to be, you know, central to this project. That sounds awful, like, you know, a big old white guy, you know? And so everybody found something to hate. Um... So there's been a lot of blowback, a couple of newspaper articles. The newspaper articles have been very fair. The Facebook comments have not been very fair. They've, many of them have been uh, acrimonious. Um, so you're taking it from both sides. <clears throat> I am. I am. From the um, boomercons and the, and the lefties. Exactly. Um, but the flip side that I have to remind myself, because it's tempting to just get angry in a lot of these jerks, you know what I mean, uh, is that... There's support on both sides too, actually. Um, and I think honestly, the, what's what's ironic and definitely food for reflection is that some of the underlying themes of our community and certainly like my little community that I wanna build, which is heterogeneous, but still there's some underlying concept, but one of them is sort of like local autonomy and you know, that sort of thing. So there is a bit of irony there. Like, I, I'm very sympathetic to the idea of being angry that some out-of-towners are coming and buying up your property and changing the nature of the community. And what I'm trying to pitch, and I feel like it's honest and in good faith, is that our community and our project is much more aligned with the local values, the sort of independent small-scale, anti-corporatist, anti-elitist thing 
than, than any other possible group that would buy this property that would do anything. Um, and some people get that, but some people, they just can't help but think, oh, it's just another, they want to make another Jackson. No, it's just yeah, another right, Jackson. right, right, right. <clears throat> yeah. So how do you not become another Jackson Hole? Like what do you like put a, you know, some commandments up on a, on a post in town? Like how do you make sure it doesn't turn into that? Well, I think that, I mean, that gets right into the biggest question of community building and also kind of touches on the libertarian question. Um, like how do you build and preserve a culture? Um, and maintain private property rights. Um, and that's tough. Cause like, yeah, even if I don't want to be Jackson Hole, the fact that we have, you know, micro brews and uh, good espresso and coffee and a cool menu could very well trigger something that even I don't intend, right? Like suddenly the, and I think some of the community members are wise in being, cautious of that um and the question is what should they do about it you know what could they do about it and um you know it's a bit of a it, awkwardly it's a bit of a test case where i happen to be on kind of the wrong side of the test yeah but yeah. i always have been curious like you look at these little communities that slowly get gobbled up by airbnbs and you think on the one hand you know i'm a good old-fashioned capitalist, you know. Um, and so I was there, right, to buy the house and Airbnb it out. But then I'm like, yeah, who wants to live in a neighborhood that's full of a rotating door of freaking yeah. weirdo out-of-towners and college kids and God knows who? Yeah. That's not a neighborhood. That's a You're living in a hotel, a freaking, you know, a thousand-acre hotel or whatever. It's not cool. So I get that, but how do you, you know, how, what do you do about it? Yeah, yeah, it's you're in such an interesting position because it's like, yeah, you're you're trying to do the right thing, but it's like in trying to do the right thing, like they're also they also think they're doing the right thing, right? You know, it's right. like so so how do how do you show that you really are doing the right thing, you know, and they're not. It's very tough. It's a tough thing to to show. It is. And I think there are some Ways. I did a big community Q and A. Um, invited everybody to the restaurant. We got a little upstairs, like dance floor, or whatever, big room. We had about 150 people in, and there were some people who honestly said, "Like, are you getting security? Are you wearing a bulletproof vest?" Wow. Um, because this is a Mountain West, very sort of uh, out of the way mountain town, um, and a lot of people showed up, and. Um, Honestly, I feel like we made some headway. I suggested maybe one, I'm open and not only open to you. I know some of the members in the community are could be involved with my project. There's enough, you know, commonality. Uh, besides that, we could set up a little community um, committee. It's like an advisory committee uh, that would, you know, kind of interface and liaison between us and the community at large. So I mean, we're, we're trying, um, but at the end of the day, like these bigger questions of how to have and preserve a culture 
Uh, I grew up in Quebec, and they're very upfront about that. It's a big, you know, it's a big chunk of land. And they're like, we have a culture, and we're going to, you know, use the cops to preserve it. And it's easy to make fun of, like, you know, you have to, every sign has to be in French and in English, and the French actually has to be larger font or the same, you know, there are guys that go around like measuring signs and stuff. And it seems stupid. And certainly the libertarian in me is like, I can put whatever sign I want on my store or whatever. But I'm more and more sympathetic as we see the fracturing of society. And it's one maybe thinks about raising kids and like, what kind of families do I want to be around? What kind of culture do I want? I'm sympathetic to the overt measures to preserve some kind of a homogenous culture. Totally, totally. And, and, and I think that's, that's being explored by the dissident right. And it, I think the jury's still out of what that means. Well, it's like this upheaval that we're facing is so um, unique because everything that we knew before, I think a big part of the problem with our enemy, whatever we want to call our enemy, is that people are used to hating the public sector or they're used to hating the private sector. They're not really used to hitting both of them. <laughs> and and our enemies are both. It is literally, it's a public-private partnership that has collapsed into the same thing. So it's like, we are like, well, wait, who? What? what is this thing I'm fighting against? Is it the government or is it corporations? Like, I don't understand. Like, I, like, I don't, you know, it, it's very difficult to like understand the framework of like what you're fighting. Um, yeah, and, the yeah. shifting sands, the battle lines are. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's no, no, hard no, no, to navigate. No, no. It's, it's fine. It's I so was... hard to navigate. Yeah. And it's so tempting to want to fall back on the old battle lines, you know, uh, whatever they may be. And, and I think some people are actually like, forcing new battle lines that run a skew of battle lines just to try to like pry things differently. Like you said, like so many of the new divides just run right through like big business and, and, and the government or, uh, or a lot of these questions are much more nuanced. Like the question of borders is a, it's a complex question. And it ties in with like, well, you can't hate the federal government and love borders, but you can't hate borders and love community, you know, and it's this kind of like, kind of chase yourself around this series in transitive propositions. So tell the, where you said you're from Quebec, like what was your path to Wagon Dow, and then we need to talk about what the Dow part is, obviously. But, sure. but how uh, how did you? What was your path? Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Quebec on the fringes of a uh, of an Indian reservation. My dad was a linguist and was working on bilingual education curriculum for this uh, Indian reservation. And I think something about growing up in Quebec, being a bit of an outsider. Uh, particularly in the French, in the French part of Quebec. My early years were just in a little French town. Uh, Wait, so was he American? He's American. I'm American. Okay, so he, he's American. Okay, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So I moved at like six weeks old. So I, I grew up there. 
Um, but I, I was very cognizant of being an American. And if I had any doubts, the people who would walk by our house in the early, before we moved out of the reservation, and uh, the FU Yankee or whatever, like, kind of wow. for being Americans. Uh, so the idea of being an intruder, kind of an involuntary, benign intruder, has kind of pursued me. Um, the cool thing was when I moved out, when we moved out of the woods, I was maybe about seven or eight. Um, the internet reservation, they were much more accepting. And then we didn't really live in the res. We lived across the river in this little hamlet of sort of all these different people who didn't belong. Uh, mixed couples, one of them being native and one of them being French Canadian or whatever. And, you know, random reject trapper woodsman that didn't have anywhere else to live, whatever. It's a small little community of weirdos. And, and something about that kind of stuck with me. And I, maybe I've been chasing that ever since. Um, and this little town in Wyoming story, maybe it kind of resonated with that, like kind of a community of close-knit community of, of the off-scouring of the rest of society or something. <laughs> um, and then I got in, I got into trailer park investing and I think the same thing, like, I think one of the things that attracts me to trailer parks is this sort of community kind of built on, um, secondary status right like given the fact that you're a trailer park like everybody in the trailer park knows trailer park residents are looked down on you know um but they, they they can see that in exchange for a lot of advantages a lot of liberty like they you know for in the yard there's not a real strong hoa factor in trailer park <laughs> and a lot of community um so anyway i've been like chasing these ideas of community um so I've what's it a- like 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 in a trailer park as somebody who's been around them a lot What's it like in a trailer park? I mean, I I don't think I've ever literally been to a trailer park before. I don't really? think I've ever I, like when would I have gone? I don't know. You know, like I don't know. I've been to like Tony Shay's trailer park in in you know downtown <laughs> Vegas. That doesn't count. No, uh, that's interesting. I I live in a trailer park. Uh, when my family moved to the states, uh, one of the first places we lived was in a trailer park. Um. And I guess there is more so than many other communities. Um, some kind of sense of community, um, a sense of looking out for each other, wandering over and somebody's grilling out, or wandering over and grabbing a beer, or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I think in many ways they are in some of the last sort of functional communities in America. Uh, I mean, you go to, you know, suburbia, which I guess at this point is a lot of America and nobody knows each other. And apartment complexes, unless they're very old and somewhat, you know, some like really old apartment complexes, like, like all, you know, Chinese families in, in the fringes of Lily or something, you know, they, they know each other. But, a lot of apartment complexes that just nobody knows each other. Um, but trailer parks, most people tend to know everybody. And I will tell you this from mostly, you know, renting out trailers. Um, you know, so there's always characters who like drama and kind of like to stir up community drama or whatever. 
and you know who they are because they all the ones when they come to apply they'll say now listen i say to myself i don't really like a lot of drama that's how you that's how you know this one because the people that actually stay to themselves they don't even know such a thing as drama exists they don't announce it they don't even know that there is such a thing but uh anyway i don't know I mean, I don't think we should all live. I'm not telling you necessarily to move into a trailer park, but I do think we need new models of community. And I think trailer parks are a data point and some kind of a stepping stone. Dude, totally. It's actually, I, I've never considered this before. And it's, it's so true. Do you think part of the reason why trailer parks have that reputation is because like, you know, this is conspiratorial, but like they don't want us to be together. You know, like they want to keep us atomized. So they per they no. actually prefer if we don't like live together in these like, you know, shared commune I mean, things. I mean, that's that is a perennial question, and I'm not sure it matters that much. It's the question of the intentionality of the day. Like, you know, a lot of machines, like corporations or whatever, they're trying to build the profits and I own one right like they have effects that aren't personal but they do like if the machine you know so if, there, if there's a machine that no we know we know that there's a machine that's like the U.S. government and all its corporate allies and I don't know that there's necessarily like some ground shield guy like we're trying to atomize people. yeah the fact is like atomization feeds other goals the machine and so I think definitely to the effect that those goals sort of have the effect of somebody um, as if somebody were saying we need to atomize and fracture people because communities are uh, are not good for generating profits. I think it has that effect, whether that intent is there or not. Definitely the effect is there. Um, I think communities uh, don't serve any corporate realist goals. Yeah. So it's like, that's what I, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, what can go wrong will go wrong thing. It's like, if, if there's no, if there's nobody protecting communities, communities is what's going to get, you know, it's going to be the thing that gets hit on the other hand. There's no money in it. There's no money in it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, If there's no money. Right. I always use this example of, so do you know that all the airline, like uh, the, um, airport lounges all across the country there they all started as like gentlemen's club not strip clubs but they started as like classic uh, general yeah like yeah like private clubs that you had to be invited to be a member of so there was no money you didn't buy in you had to be like asked to be a member like country clubs you know like based on your Mm -hmm. reputation in the community like were you a good person in the community that's the only way you got into the airport lounge then you go to lax like you know, if you're an asshole, tough luck. You're not in, the, <laughs> you know, you're not in right. the club. Um, and then, of course, a guy, you know, uh, a Jewish guy sued for discrimination uh, at one of these clubs, like Jewish. Just, I'm only saying he's Jewish because of, you know, that's why he, yeah, that's why he sued. And, uh, it, you know, he sued for that and won. And then it was banned. You you then had to, everybody had to be allowed to buy in to all mm. of these clubs. And from there on out, it was like, okay, well, you can be as much of an a-hole as you want. No community. Nobody talks to each other. It's There's no code of entry. And so, uh, you know, now we have the MX Lounge, which is great. I love the MX Lounge, but it's not like you talk to anybody, you know? And it's not like right. there's no – and it's because 
there was no monetary value in those in those uh, relationships, or there was a monetary value. They just weren't monetized. They weren't monetized. Right. Well, and some of it, I think there is a degree to which monetization undermines it. So it, it, in a certain certain relationships, right? Um, I think like marriage, right? Like or whatever, romantic relationships is obvious example. Um, it's not impossible, but when you involve money, it undermines the validity of the whole thing, right? And I think the same thing, certain types of personal arrangements, as soon as it becomes about the money, then it's something else. And so there, there is a degree to which certain things, by definition, cannot be monetized. Because once they're monetized, they're something else. Yeah. Uh, and that's a problem um, because there's no direct impetus for creating these things. And I think that's one of the things that's left out in this conversation uh, the economic question, right? Of like, well, you know, most people on the right want to, like, well, you know, we're capitalists, we're for profit or whatever. And that's all well and good. But you don't need to take that to mean that everything you do has to be to make money. Uh, I think you can expand your definition of profit uh, and think about all the various uh, goods that can come from some enterprise. And the wagon dial, let me tell you, is. A zero profit project. Uh, I'm committed. I'm committed to um, investing and parting with half a million bucks personally, um, so that people will know this was not some kind of money making scheme. This is something I believe, like we're talking, is necessary and good. And I think that freaks people out. I think it's freaked out to people in the community when they can see how you're making money. Then they at least know, okay, we see this is how he's trying to make money. Oh, yeah. yeah. But if you, they can't see how you're making money, then they have to guess how you're making money. Yeah. Just some strange tax strategy. Are you selling drugs? Are you, you know, what's really going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard to convince people. And I feel like I maybe made some progress by explaining to you, like, I don't have a family and kids. Maybe someday I, I would like to. But, you know, people with kids, nobody says, oh, why are you really having kids? You know, what's in it for you? No, people don't understand that it's just something that people do self-sacrificially out of some deep sense of wanting the world to continue on past them. I mean, it's like planting trees that other people will rest in the shade of, right? It's, it's something deep and wonderful about being human and a hopeful human is to create things that don't have direct value to yourself. Uh, and I think a lot of people on the right have missed that. And I think a lot of people on the left want to take all that and put that on the shoulders of the course of government instead of just putting their own money in their mouth. Like, well, just hang up and like create a group that says this good if that's what you want. You don't have to do it through federal governments. Right. So where's the Dow part come in? So tell, tell us about the Dow. Okay. So the, the, unfortunately... I don't know if it's fish or not, but the Dow part, certainly from the community, has been a huge distraction. Uh, it sounds foreign and weird. Um, vaguely like, you know, the Chinese Dow. But all, all it stands for is Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And it's a um, Web3, like blockchain-based um, variant of the LLCs. 
So it's just uh, it's like a limited liability corporation whose operating agreement and bylaws sort of housed on the blockchain and enforced through smart contracts. The usual route for an LLC is for their operating agreement and bylaws to be housed more than those where some secretary's desk or maybe they don't have bylaws and they make them up as they go or whatever. And it'd be enforced through not enforced at all and then enforced through lawsuits. It's a lot more flexible, but also a lot less transparent. Most people who are investor in LLC don't really know exactly what the bylaws are and how they operate. So anyway, that's that's really the Web3 component is a little bit of a wild card. I don't know how that plays out. Um, I think my, my suspicion is that instead of trying to put too much of the functionality on the DAO apparatus, um, to pick one or two key aspects of the community and to encode those in the smart contracts. And then have the rest be non non Web three, um, and one of the one of the goals is and you know so one of the main seems to me one of the vectors in the dissident fringe is a deep suspicion of the democratic process, right? Like a backing off of the war because democracy is ruining our democracy. What about democracy? Oh, 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 wait a minute. Maybe democracy does not equal freedom, and maybe it's uh, a pretty cool machine, but not the, the end-all in human polity and organization. And so what I'd like to do is explore systems other than democratic systems um, for political discourse and decision-making. Some people like it's impossible to imagine. What would that be like? And the easiest example for me would be, um, for instance, leadership by lottery. And this is actually an old model that's used in a lot of uh, Mennonite church circles that the pastor has simply chosen all the qualified, this is a qualification, you know, vetting, it's not just anybody, you know, a three-year-old kid or whatever. Um, in their case, it's usually men of a certain age who've been part of the community a certain amount of time. But then they just choose by lottery uh, every year or two or whatever. Um, and I think already, just thinking about that, you think well, democracy on a wider scale inherently chooses, selects for narcissism, right? Like it's literally who can run around and say, I'll be a great leader, the loudest. Um, patently a problematic system. If we did it by lottery, and then we had some system for sort of a no confidence vote. Um, so like after a week or two, like this guy's obviously just, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, it's just a different way of picking leaders that I think you could end up landing on some gems of leaders who would never run around and say, I'm the leader for this job, you know. Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, like, really, you just don't want to be led by people who want to lead you. Right. It's like getting elected is a completely different skill than governing. It's completely right. different. So it's like it's it's such a falling up thing. It's like 
you're getting somebody to do a job that they have not shown they're good at at all based solely on something they're not it's completely different yeah, this is why i don't really like the term kind of don't want what oh, okay well let's get into that that's interesting. i don't, don't like, like term, term limits for that reason because it's like it's just then you're just campaigning the entire time like if if you you know like you all you're doing is campaigning endlessly instead yeah, of actually I, you know I think some middle ground because what I, I also don't like is you know these old crusty ensconced yeah. thinking corrupted you know Mitch McConnell's <laughs> no offense Mitch um I think if you had a different system instead of like constantly having a 51% um election every two years or four years or six years, whatever, maybe if there was just like at any point something like 60% to unseat you or whatever, you know. Yeah. So you just no elections, but if somebody wants to some process by which they could, and I think some other countries have something like that where just at any certain point they can have like a vote of no confidence. But if they do one of those and it fails and you get like, you know, six years off or 10 years, like no more than that <laughs> or whatever, you know. All right. Like I, I love the idea of a lottery system. I think that that's a fascinating, fascinating idea. And I think a DAO is the perfect system to try it out. On. Right. Cause you could actually just encode it yeah. Yeah. and it would be totally randomized and um yeah i think if nothing else it's a starting point for opening people's brains like democracy is not the only way outside of like because people tend to think oh then it's just like some random strongman tyranny at the end of the day that's actually just a sloppier version of democracy like you look at the like African strongman who like gets the biggest army and starts, you know, his little country or whatever. In a sense, it's just kind of a brutal democracy, right? He managed to get enough people to be afraid of him. Right, right, right. right. Um, so we got to open up new ideas of like, okay, if not democracy, then what? I think lottery is well, a starting point. It could right. be better things of all of them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, right. It's like, that's why I love the idea so much because it's just like, it's just an experiment in showing that democracy is not necessarily the answer to everything. And it has huge, huge flaws. I mean, you really learn that when you move to California, because we have this totally absurd referendum direct democracy thing. And it is just the biggest joke in the world. You know, these, these like broad referendums come down the pipeline the way they're titled is all warped like the, you know, because everybody's trying to get in their two right. words, you know what I mean? And then you have like two explanation things. Nothing makes any sense. It never goes the way it should. There was literally like a tax here that was like tax the rich to pay for sustainable energy. You would think like there is no thing that is more sure to pass in California than tax the rich to pay for sustainable. It lost like 75 to 25. Because like it just it's so convoluted and people they just cheat you know basically or I don't know if they cheat but I have no idea how they do it but they figure out ways to like make Game sure it, this yeah. block doesn't vote so the idea that this is the will of the people is the biggest joke in the entire world like it's not the will of the people at all yeah um, and 
it also raises the question, or in this case, actually technically maybe begs the question, um, like, what is the people? And yeah. I think unless you have a culturally homogenous group, um, it's really, and I, you know, the thing is, unless you have a culturally homogenous group, Democracy is very unfair <laughs> right, to right. a minority population. Yeah, exactly. It's majority right? rule. Like this is it's, it's literally a majority rule. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, well, the people have spoken. Well, half the people have spoken. Yeah, right. That's right. cool. Yeah. But if you have a presumption that we all agree on a lot of things, then a democratic vote can be like. Well, seeing as we all generally have this idea of where we're going and who we are and what we're about, which color are we going to paint the bathrooms? And then it's like, yeah, we've spoken as a people because there's so much else that's carrying us forward that the vote itself is sort of ensconced. The 51-49 is sort of wrapped in a consensus of, well, we're all going in a direction. Right. And whether that's possible and how to build that um, is the question kind of that's explored by Balaji's network state concept. And that is the sort of framework that we're kind of adopting in our small way at the Wagadow. So I'm familiar with Balaji's um, book, Network State, which just so everybody understands who's listening, it's... Uh, kind of covers this movement that you're seeing everywhere. It's not just uh, in Wagandao, it's everywhere, of sort of tech, Web3 tech projects that are attempting to claim physical space in the name of some sort of new society. And those new societies are generally run on DAOs, which are these new governance mechanisms that allow for voting in all these kind of new different ways, or no voting. I mean, the, the idea of a DAO is that it's supposed to be a trustless system where your vote is recorded on a blockchain. So it's immutable, like it's totally auditable. Um, and therefore, you don't have the need for human middlemen dictating what's right. going on or running the election. Most DAOs actually are democratic, though, right? I mean, right. most DAOs, in fact, do run on democracy votes. Presumed um, democratic, yeah. Yeah, presumably democratic. Although when you actually look into DAOs, you start to see that they do have, it ends up being like, oh, well, actually we have a committee of people that reflect the vote and they turn the keys in the multi-sig or whatever. And then that's actually how it happens. So there is human trust in most of them. Very few of them work actually on the blockchain. I think the one that works the best is Moloch. Hmm. Have you heard of Moloch DAO? M O L O C H. Yeah, it's an unfortunate name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Don't even want to talk about. It. No, but they've figured out or like passed. the best way to actually keep votes on chain because okay. they do this thing where um, they basically you can only do two things: you can accept a member or uh, kick out a member. And like everything works on that one single mechanism. So I think that that's why actually your idea was really good about just keeping it to like two things. And yeah. then you can like do everything through these like two actions. Cause otherwise putting all those actions on the blockchain is like in astronomically expensive. 
Well, yeah, just it's in terms of attention. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like when you have, you know, the ideal, uh, 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 you know, when you have like 30 group chats and they're all going. So you eventually just like give up on all of them. You can't keep yeah. up with them and they're just all over the place, you know, whatever. Yeah. But if it's just like, you know, once a year, should we or should we not execute the leader? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's it. No, I love it. the machine and it's like the yeah. computer will. You know? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's a great idea for a movie. Like I if think, you literally execute them. They're sitting in the chair waiting for the vote to come in. Great idea. I think it, uh, as many people as it would alienate. I think it's a great thought experiment. Like, yeah. Uh, every yeah, we just have a leader, and then at, at some point, it's like, do we act somewhere? <laughs> yeah, do you pull the trigger or not? And what's funny is like to think about that is so so so, like psychotic and whatever. But literally, like today, there is a government agent out there right now running a drone, killing somebody. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah, totally. And I've got a buddy in the, you know, in the, in the agency. He's like, yeah, people come back like they take out guns like full ammo and they get, they're like wearing like a polo shirt they're like some fat guy in a polo shirt and they just come back and there's no ammo and you're like okay <laughs> so, killing people all the time yeah. uh god forbid it be like you know somebody who, where we can really capitalize on that skin of the game yeah you know you want a leader to have actual skin of the game throw that guy in the uh, election chair <laughs> That's a crazy story you just told about fat guy in a polo shirt. That really like brings it down to earth. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, he leaves yeah, with ammo and the, comes back without it. Wow. Yeah. The scale and level of violence of the American machine. Um, I think we all kind of know it. But um, I think that's one of the reasons maybe like Trump was so um, kind of callous about like when Putin would have somebody killed or whatever, because he wasn't able to feign, oh my God, this is some atrocity or whatever. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he knows. Oh, that. we're having like we're having people killed all the time. Yeah, it's like we're supposed having... to say, oh, it's terrible, and then it's like Obama's just droning every person yeah. in that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I do want to be careful. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to imply that there's like a total relativism that we're just as bad as Saudi Arabia or whatever. Absolutely not. America is a much more transparent system, a much more benign system. And I think by and large, the people we're killing are much better guys yeah. than the people say Putin are killing. But at the end of the day, like we are still killing a lot of people and much more people than anybody knows. Right. So, so to return the, to the Dow thing, um, uh, Bology. So Bology's mm -hmm. network state. So, so he, he, in this book, I guess, is talking about this movement. So what exactly does he say? I haven't read the book. So what what does he say in that book? Well, so um, he goes over a lot of the structures of it. You know, some of the things we have, uh, you know, not exactly used his model. So one of his sort of catch lines is LARP before land. So you like build a digital community, then you get some land. We had, I mean, everybody's got a friend network, right? So you have some kind of a community, but we kind of jumped in the land business um, much more prematurely than his model. And then he is very big on like, the community has to have its own cryptocurrency. I'm a little ambivalent on that. Um, and then when you get into, so uh, 
um, Vitalik Buterin did a review of the book, and he pointed out some of the weaknesses. And one of them, and nothing against you for watching, um, biology, big fan. Um, sorry you weren't actually on the panel in consensus, uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, the examples that he gives are in my mind incredibly weak. Um, the examples that he gives are like a community based on keto only diet um, or something like that. And I think the problem is, and I think the problem that you're going to find with a lot of these, you know, cabin Dow or city Dow or whatever yeah. is that at the end of the day, no nation, no real nation that I can think of up to this point has been able to survive without some kind of transcendent commitment, which is basically to say a unifying religious commitment. If you're, at the end of the day, you're having to put the needs of these other people, I mean, to be a part of a, a community or to identify with a nation is to say at some level, this group is more important than my life, my personal life. And I think at the end of the day, most of these other organizations are ultimately like most people select their own life, their own comfort over the group. And that's fine. That's not a nation, you know? And what's odd is like when I, I was a combat infantryman, you know, went to Afghanistan and when I did that, Wait, you were a what? Can you like move a little closer? You're like, oh, I'm a little sorry. Closer. Yeah, yeah, no. You said you were a um, what in Afghanistan? I was a combat infantryman. Oh, okay. So you, you were, yeah. you were a veteran. Yeah, combat veteran um, in Afghanistan, 0405. And um, what's interesting is like, I think most of us felt that sense of like, I'm willing to jump on the grenade. I'm willing to uh do that but i think what it starts out as when you first like sign up and it's kind of this vague notion it's more you know america but i think because america has dissolved so much as a nation maybe the fantasy that it was a, you know maybe I, I don't know what the past was like but i have a sense that it used to be more of a culturally cohesive with exceptions of you know all that um that kind of dissolves kind of quick and I think for a lot of people, if they're going to jump on a grenade, it's going to be because of the, the um, commitment to their buddies and the love of their buddies and their unit. Um, but it certainly is never going to be because of like a common diet or or anything like that. Now, maybe something like that, a common yeah. diet. Or, We're going to die for the keto video. diet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's lay it all but down. maybe if something like that were a catalyst to just bring the people together yeah. and then over time making sacrifices together you build that sense of well it's not for the diet it's for my love of these people and our shared experiences and built that and so the wagon bow is kind of maybe bridging those like we do not have any kind of theological litmus tests we're generally Christian. Everybody has a deep appreciation of the Christian tradition. Um, I'm personally just a good old-fashioned Christian, um, and many of us are, but we're kind of exploring kind of what that means. But anyway, aside from, aside from that, not everybody is. Um, 
but we're also, since we have a common place and it's kind of challenging, right? In the winter, there's like three and a half feet of snow and in the summer, we'll maybe do some backpacking or fishing trips in the mountains or whatever. Um, it'll kind of bridge both. And so there'll be that, that common, that love that's generated over time from having shared experiences and then also some common transcendent values. Yeah, it really raises the question of uh, which came first, like the cohesive, successful community or the religion? It was like, does the religion come from the closeness and from the going through the winters together and, you know, from all that stuff? Or does the reason that like societies work because somebody dreamt up religion and like that was how they made it happen originally? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at sort of successful religions, you know, in that, I mean, whatever that would mean, but, you know, religions that have persisted, there are many that have just disappeared, right? Um, or sects or, you know, groups of religions. But you look at, they have often, like, created weird things that kind of made them different than everybody around them. And so it, it was kind of a chicken and egg, right? So they just kind of had a, a group, and then it's like, well, now we all have to do this weird outfit and we have to do these weird rituals and it's going to make us feel weird to them, but it, it, but it creates that cohesive, right? Like, yeah, um, exactly. And doing strange things. This is like uh, doing strange things that don't make any sense is how you kind of show your loyalty to, you know, if, if everything, this is what I always say to people. It's like, if if wokeness made sense, it wouldn't be cohesive. You know, it's like, that's, it's like the reason they do the crazy shit is because it's crazy. That That's like the whole point. There's something to that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the negative side of it. I mean, wokeness. Um, but I think it does get back to what we were talking about earlier of this corporate realism. And I think like the corporate realists, the machine, it makes a lot of sense. It makes perfect sense. Everything has to make sense because it, you know, it has to make money. Um, and again, that's so that's where the community, the community building is a very irrational project. It's it's surreal, and um, I think we're going to have to kind of like you're saying of the woke scene, we're going to have to embrace maybe not um, just dumb, you don't want to embrace dumb ideas, but I think you have to be open to a super real and super rational approach. Definitely. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Uh, I think you're totally, totally right. So, I mean, I know there's no religion in your Tao. I mean, what, what do you it's think? It's not about no like religion. It's a Christian organization. Yeah. So what kind of Christian are you? I think of myself as a surrealist, mystical Christian. Um, I, I don't want that to mean like wishy-washy, anything goes. I'm I, I am not orthodox in the sense of like Russian orthodoxy. But I, I, I want to be orthodox. I want to hew to the traditional creeds of Christianity. Um, I am a universalist, and I think that makes a big difference. And I think you do find that thread a lot more in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Um, and I think, and we'll have to have a whole different interview on this, but I do think the concept 
of an eternal hell is a theology that has haunted America and America's ideas. Um, and it's a little bit of a difficult argument to explain, but I feel like this whole trans fad actually comes out of that. Mm. Um, because I'll try to put it really tightly. Um, I think if God, one of the main ways people think, well, God is all powerful and he's all good. Um, so how is it that like he can consign vast swaths of the population to eternal punishment? Well, then it must be that his goodness is simply a factor of his power. You know, you hear a lot of persons, particularly in the reform tradition, will say that, like, don't act, don't question whatever God wants to do is good. That's what freedom is to do whatever you want to do. And any in extrinsic imposition, including his own nature, his own goodness, would be an imposition on his freedom. And so I think we have adopted that. The liberal project has actually adopted that so that freedom. Wait, 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 hold on. I, I lost you. You, you, the, okay, say that one more time so, right. I can, so I can follow you. All right. So the question I start with is that what is the nature of God's freedom? What, what do you mean God's freedom, though? Like, if God is free, um, I, I guess, how do you reconcile um, if God is consigning this vast swath of people to eternal damage? How do you reconcile that with his goodness? I see. Okay. Yeah. You're uh, saying you reconcile it with his God goodness. Is, yeah. If God is good, why would he send people to hell? Right. And, yeah, yeah. and people reconcile it by saying, well, he's free. And his freedom is a result of his power. And so I say that God's freedom is constrained by his nature. He is good and loving. And to be free is to be what you are, what your nature is, right? So for me, to just so what is human freedom and i think all i'm getting at is what echoes down your ideas of god and a lot of these people of course don't think about god at all but, but these ideas that started um quite some time ago filter down to our idea of what is human freedom and if human if it's not like well you don't want to hew to any tradition that's an external imposition right on, on you you don't want to uh you know you can't be taught anything because if you know, you're not free, and what happens is you get to the point where all freedom is, is this just like being whatever urge comes to your mind and any ex external imposition on that is an imposition on your freedom. Well, so that's, you know, you saw people throwing off religion, you see people throwing off tradition, and then because they, they have this idea of just freedom equals power over everything and, and power to do whatever comes bubbling out of your precious soul um and what's the last frontier like we've thrown away all these things but what's the last thing constraining us our bodies yeah yeah our bodies are constraining us they're telling me who i am my body is yeah. telling me who i am that's not freedom uh freedom is total power over everything no matter what um so anyways it's, it's a tenuous argument <laughs> i think it's true but it's it's a little hard to explain particularly people not familiar with all the terms no, no, I but so I am following totally. But so, right. how does that weigh to the trans thing? Well, just freedom over your body, right? Yeah. So, so by the, the last, the last, the final frontier is this, is this, you know, 
monkey suit that we happen to find ourselves in. No, I think um, you're totally right. But I mean, like, how does that go back to the freedom of God? Like, what is the point you're... I guess the, the, the idea is simply just what is freedom? And if freedom is just total power and the sort of I see. Um, exercise of will. So if God's freedom is just the total, whatever he does is good, no matter what, as opposed to hewing to a nature, right? So my idea of God's freedom is it's constrained by his nature, his goodness, right? Um, and anybody, you know, any concept of goodness and fairness in nature, uh, of a nature that's good and fair, we all know that that, however it works out, that, you know, torturing children who never, you know, said the sinner's prayer eternally does not come, it's not fit with that. It's not compatible. Yeah, yeah. That, right? <laughs> right, right. So, right. So we know that he's constrained by his nature. I know that God is constrained by his nature and will, you know, find a way to work things in a way that is fair and just and, and loving in, you know, actual fair and just and loving the way I understand it. And, and so in the same way, we are constrained by our nature. So to, to pretend to be a duck doesn't make me more free. Got it, got it. Yes. But see, in, the, in the new woke world, like you're not constrained by your nature. You just do whatever the heck you want. Yeah. Um, and so if you really want to be a duck, like the freest thing you can do is just like waddle around and quack. The freest thing for me to do, I guess that freedom has a telos, it has a nature, has an end. Um, and so the freest thing for me to do is to be myself completely. Um, and it's, it's, there's like, it's a fine line, right? Like, well, be yourself. Like, well, no, to be what I am or to play the hand I'm dealt. And that gets into like, what does it mean to be based? You know, what is this term based? Um, you're, you, uh, you have a business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying to explore like, what does this term based mean? And I think well, it deals with that. So, you know, you, here's my uh, super esoterica hermetic, uh, explanation for why based has become the word first of all you know al-qaeda means base <laughs> yeah which is interesting too. so it's like funny that that's also you know like, yeah, like they were based yeah it yeah cool. so so like uh my thing this actually comes from my own religious studies a little bit is like uh we're at a time where air like like um you know if we're if we're in the different eras of different like um elements like we're in the era of out of control air right like everything is like tv is air you know like yeah. gossip bad words bad th those type of things that's yeah. all air that's like the the poisoned air right so i think we're in a you know it, people are flying around and identity is a big part of that too. It's like when you're in the yeah. air, you can have any identity. It's anything, yeah, yeah. you know, there's nothing that is like, uh, like, like um, grounding anybody. <clears throat> and so what is the opposite of air? It's the ground like, gr and based is like, literally it's like a, or it's like literally based in the ground. It's like an earth force. So yeah. I think the reason that we're, we come back to this base thing is that we want we yearn so badly for something to ground us in something deeper than just whatever we decide that day. You know, I think right. in the world of branding, this is very clear because I'll give you an example. You open up the Wall Street Journal on a 
you know, Sunday, whatever day, you will see almost always a page long, like a full page advertisement for Altria cigarettes that says Ooh. we dream of a smoke free future. <laughs> right. <laughs> or like, like we hate smoke. Like we, we hate sure. cigarettes. Like, you know, which is like the most airy thing in the world. They're like, we are literally making money and enriching the government. I mean, cigarettes have basically been nationalized, right? Sure. So it's like through the the master uh, services agreement or whatever it's called, master settlement sure. agreement. And through all these laws, like essentially the government, cigarettes fund the government. You know, yeah, that's like, a, that's yeah. basically what happened. But anyway, so they're out there literally advertising themselves as the opposite of what they truly are, you know? So what based marketing to me means, based advertising means like returning the actual truth of what somebody does to what they're saying. Exactly. So that perfectly kind of ties into what I was saying is, so 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 the based marketing is like returning to what it really is. And what it really is, is its nature and what it's heading towards and what it's trying to become. So for a person to be based, to me, is to really embrace and um, seek to be who they are. Um, and it's a tricky, I I lean into heavily into Kierkegaard in this, um, particularly, um, I think this present age, he talks about uh, or, or maybe it's a uh, concept of dread. He talks about the concept of being a self and alienation from self and whatever. And a friend of mine, reality underscore underscore gamer. Yeah, oh, I know him. Yeah, I know yeah, him. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So he wrote an interesting uh, essay called Based Deleuze. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, right. And he points out that Al-Qaeda notwithstanding, that we, we got this term based probably from the rapper Lil B. Oh yeah, we did, right? I mean, it was the base. Yeah, God, yeah, it'll be the right, base. right. And yeah. and Lil B is for all his, uh, you know, who he is. I, <laughs> I, I I've tried to appreciate his music. I think maybe just for me, it might be mostly culturally inaccessible. Um, but I <laughs> I really have appreciation for his his person, his his ethos. Um, but he's very much on this idea of being a very affirmative idea of being yourself. And I think that's different than this sort of nihilistic um, denial of any telos, denial of any nature, to be whatever urge you wake up with or find yourself. No, to be yourself as, you know, there's almost like, it's a strange... Go ahead. It comes back to Decine a little bit, like Decine, you know, the, the, I think that's Heidegger. It's the big thing in, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. in fourth political theory. It's like, a, uh, <clears throat> what's his name? There's no good English way to pronounce it. I love you. That, the Dasein. Dasein. Yeah. 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 It's like your being is not just your self. It's like your being is rooted in your milieu. It's like, yeah, it's, you're they, yeah. you find yourself thrown yeah. in this. Right. So dealing with that, I think baseness is a posture, right? It's not a final end state. It's not a binary, you're either based or not. It's a posture of wanting to not be bullshit, right? Or cringe or like trying to be something you're not, right? Like that cigarette ad, like it was yeah. the opposite of based. It was literally selling itself as something it isn't. It's the total opposite of what, right. <laughs> of what it actually and, is. And so you want to be what you are. And I think 
the reason that has sort of been adopted by, or, you know, I think what some people fear about the sort of base community is it allows people room to make statements about their preferences or whatever that are a little bit scary. And, and that's where you, you, I think it's important to couple it with an idea of perspectivalism. And like everybody's coming at it with their own perspective. And the first requirement is you got to not bullshit, right? You got to be based. Right? Otherwise, what's the point? Like, why, why would I want to talk to somebody who's trying to sell me cigarettes and this one free pizza? Right? Yeah. But if you're based, then we can have a conversation. Even if the things that you're being honest about and being true about, I find offensive, right? Like if I, I, you know, meet some Jamaican nationalist who's like, I want to kill all the white people in Jamaica. Hey, this guy's based. All right. Yeah, it's not right. Bullshit. Yeah. So the ground level is, Hey, we're operating. We have, right. we have the same operating rules. You're based. You're telling yeah. me how you see it. You're not blowing smoke up my ass. You're not bullshitting me. Right. Yeah. So, and then I can appreciate, okay, this is your perspective and there's probably some truth to it and there's probably some common ground we can find. And so I'm not instantly alienated like, whoa, man, like I got friends who are like white dudes in Jamaica and you just get to kill them and man, those are nice guys and they don't mean any harm. Yeah, we all get that. But at the end of the day, like this is this dude's perspective and he means it, right? And he might change, he might adopt a different nuance or whatever. But he's starting out as based, and that's cool. That's his perspective. And um, but perspectivalism, as opposed to uh, relativism, I think is an important distinction. Relativism is like, oh, nothing's true, and everything's true, and it doesn't really matter. And we all have what's your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. And that drifts quickly into cringe bullshit, right? So based perspectivalism is like, no, there is truth and there is reality, but we see through glass dimly, and I don't know everything that you've talked about. I don't know your language. I don't know where you come from. And so the first requirement is you just can't be bullshitting. So if you don't like a certain type of people or if you don't whatever, let's just be honest with it. Get that on the table first. <laughs> but I think that makes the base community a little uncomfortable for some people because they yeah. don't like the bullshit. I've gotten used to the bullshit. Totally. So and we're so used to moving the... You know, we're used to moving. Once you get in that world, and you can move, oh, you can move everything. Like, yeah, you're supposed to move on. out of the way all the time. Like, oh yeah, no, 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 I don't want to. Yeah, like I don't want to well, influence you in any longer. way. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's totally true, man. Perspectivalism. We'll have to do another episode on perspectivalism, yeah. which is a cool yeah. uh, concept, and I, I love. You might it, have so. to get Reality Gamer on uh, to maybe try to explain it better. He, he's the one that introduced me to that term. To perspectivalism, it sounds very uh, similar to fourth political theory. Uh, um, yeah, it, which is what uh, Dugan, Dugan, of course. Sorry. Yeah, it jives very well with Dugan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, I feel like perspectivalism is just a fractal. Well, everything we're talking about is just a smaller scale fractal version of multipolarity. Yeah. Right. It's just it's just a smaller, it's just zooming in, but all of the world is fractal, right? So it's like the little tiny, you know, thing that looks just like the big thing. Um, yeah. I think there's a there's a Yarvin 
theory about called like patchwork or something that I've actually Ooh. never read about, but it's like the same thing. It's like lots of little nation states that are super rigid, but very, you know, like on their own, which is always an idea that I've, I've uh, really been interested in too. And that's kind of what we're talking about. I mean, that's kind of what these yeah. DAOs could be, right? Well, they are. And I think what, what people have to introduce in their mind is a concept of scale. Um, I think people often are very scale blind. And so they, some things that are completely a matter of scale, they see as um, hypocritical. So for instance, like I want the federal government, for instance, to have like very, 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 very little power. And how dare they tell me what to do with my money or taxes or whatever. But I feel like a neighborhood should be able to tell somebody, no, bro, you're not going to cut down that giant oak. I don't care if you bought the land. You know, like, we get to deal with that lack of shade our community for hundreds of years to come. Um, so I think the scale is very important. And uh, Taleb gets into this a little bit. And I think Taleb's a mixed bag, but I love him. And I think he has a lot of offer to me. But he says, like, his basic idea is, like, in my household, I'm a communist. In my neighborhood, I'm a socialist. <laughs> in my state, I'm a Republican. In my country, I'm a libertarian. And nationally, I'm an anarchist. Right? Yeah, so, right, right. As a matter of scale, and because these things all deal with trust, right? And trust is kind of like inverse square law, right? Like the inverse square law, like the closer something is, uh, the, the much, 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 more gravitational pull it has. So as you, you know, if you're twice as far away, you have one quarter of the gravitational yeah. pull. And the same thing, like my mom, I'm perfectly happy with my mom when I'm a kid or even, you know, now your wife or whatever, controlling your diet, controlling like all these different things, you know, or whatever, um, making all these decisions for me, or maybe a woman would be comfortable with her husband making decisions. Um, but I'm very uncomfortable with some guy in DC controlling, you know, 300 or 700 million people or whatever um, on the same level, right? So there's, there's you've got to be able to scale. You said too much. Yeah, no, totally. There's, I love that quote from Talet that it's like you are all these different things in, in different environments. Uh, there's also something that I've talked about on here from Scientology that <clears throat> like they believe that there's four quadrants. So there's like uh, humanity, nation, family, and then self. Hmm. And like every person is mapped differently in these quadrants, like where they care about. Like there's some people who only care about humanity. You know, they don't care about their family. Like they're just totally focused on like the well-being of human beings, right? And then there's other people who are the total opposite and it's only themselves. Like they're worried only about their own well-being. And we all kind of like fall somewhere on this like political map of like, you know, where where do our where does our focus go? Hmm. I'd have to read that. It's it's interesting yeah. to me. I've made a bit of a regular counter case that I'm always leery of people who love humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um because rarely do those people love their neighbor. Yeah. And I think right. it's interesting to me that the formula that Christ suggested for like bringing world peace and world love was not to love humanity, but to love your neighbor. Right. That's how you and, love humanity, in my opinion. Yeah, you love your neighbor, it, it, that's it, how you love yeah. right. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, although, like, who is your neighbor, you know? 
Right. That's and, that leaves you wondering. And, and you know, the, yeah. the story of the Good Samaritan is, you know, he was asked that, who's your neighbor? And so he told the story of the Good Samaritan. But he ends it with this question, which, you know, sort of classic, like flipping at it. Which man was a neighbor to these people? Like, what makes you a neighbor? Well, just be a neighbor. You, know? yeah. <laughs> be a neighbor. you, you get to decide, you know. Be, you'll be neighborly. Yeah, that's out. great. Um, cool, man. Well, uh, yeah. this was really, really awesome. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, there's really nothing to do. You, do you want to send people? I guess you're is yeah, Wagon so now looking for members. I would love anybody that's interested um, to get involved. Um, and we are looking for members. Nice. Um, there's a process. There's a sort of gradual onboarding process of, you know, bringing you into our circle and seeing, you know, and and it's not. um it's not some kind of, as I put in the light paper, Procrustean, um, you know, we're not looking to to tune the perfect echo chamber of all the people who agree the same. I mean, like, take like Reality Gamer and I, very different, very different backgrounds, very different people. Um, but we do have uh, a common approach to all of these questions we discussed today. So we want to unite much more on the questions that we're asking and sort of the set of assumptions that we're questioning and things that we're sort of fumbling towards, which I think generally is positive, like nihilists not not welcome. Um, all that is simply to say a lot of different types of people will likely fit in to I think. So check it out. Thewagonbox.com slash Dow. Wagonbox.com slash Dow. Okay, we'll put yeah. that in there. Or the um, wagonbox.com is the, just the property at large. Oh, okay. Got it, got it. Mm -hmm. um, nice. Well, thank you so much, Paul. We'll send you. Yeah, man. Out. It's good talk, and I uh, hope to see you again soon. For sure.